Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick Chapter 53 The Knowledge of All Things Florence, the 15th of July, 1515 The Piazza della Santissima Annunziata was unassuming, Crowley had always thought. Its drab flagstones and sedate low-flying arches reflected a certain piety, he supposed, which was highly prized by the friars who called themselves Serve di Maria. As he made his way past a few beggars clustered at the foot of the statue, he wondered idly if he'd have any holy men to contend with on entry. His old friend had taken rooms in the friary and turned them into a workshop. At the entrance, which had been permitted to hang open in defiance of the sweltering heat, he very nearly ran face first into a nun. She was young, perhaps twenty, and had nervous hazel eyes. Cringing inwardly, Crowley made the sign of the cross and let her pass. The nun's manner eased somewhat. She'll have been seeing her lover. Crowley thought, sighing as he passed by a rough-hewn wooden bench and some fraying tapestries, looking for the staircase his friend had outlined in his missive. One of the brothers, I don't doubt. Brave girl. Risky business. Well done, Haster. The friars weren't the sole residents of these premises, as they'd taken to renting out rooms for profit. Crowley found a staircase set into the wall, shadowed and secret at the end of the hall. A heavy curtain hung across it. He might have passed on by to take the next turning, if not for having failed to resist the temptation to peer behind it. He felt his way up the stairs, pushing his tinted glasses, which his friend had designed and built for him some decades back, up into his hair. His eyesight remained best suited to darkness, as it always would. This troubled him less than it once had. Crowley encountered another curtain at the top of the stairs, and then an antechamber with an open window that shed ample light on a closed wooden door. He knocked on it, clearing his throat. The last time he'd been in Florence, his friend had lived elsewhere in the city. This felt strange. Ladies, said Leonardo, admitting Crowley without preamble. The prodigal one returns. He'd aged dramatically, more eccentric than ever. Eleven years, Antonio, he chided. And you write me to ask if I have anything with which you can decorate. Have you recovered from Spain? Last I saw you, it had been a... He trailed off, scratching his beard. Sixteen years. You'd gone back to England for a spell, and then you'd come here. Too much of rain and memory and plague. There's no recovering from that, Crowley thought, permitting the old man to crush him in a heartfelt embrace. For sixty-three, there was fire in him yet. What happened while I was away? My mother died in ninety-five. The funeral cost a small fortune, rest her soul, and so far from home said Leonardo, releasing him, peering into Crowley's eyes. Medicine has yet to find a physic enough for this, I gather. My friend, I'm sorry to hear it. Has my sorry solution with studios? Gosh, I'm sorry, Crowley said, removing his glasses from his hair, turning them in front of Leonardo so that he could perform inspection. She was Turkish, wasn't she? Arab? 
That's far from home indeed. Voila. Katerina is under your care and protection, so protect her from the trial of the grave and torment of the fire. Crowley thought, recalling a fragment of the Dua, converted to Christianity, though she'd been. Indeed, you are faithful and truthful. Forgive and have mercy upon her. Your handiwork is flawless, he chided, surrendering the glasses to inevitable tinkering repairs. I think you know that. Can I look at the, er, uh, goods while you fiddle? Fiddler I am not, said Leonardo emphatically, already halfway to his work table. But uh, you may peruse at your leisure. He gestured at the far side of the room, where such a kaleidoscope of colour awaited Crowley's eyes that he staggered somewhat to take it in. The murals, of course, must remain in situ. That stuff I've set up on easels, however, be my guest. It's all up for grabs with the painting on the very end. It's a commission and it's not finished. You'll find the preliminary sketch next to it. The others are just fancies, nothing worth mentioning. Nostalgia. Your idea of nostalgia is pretty refined, Crowley said, approaching the sequence of fire-breathing monsters painted on panels cut from Lombard poplar. All these winged dragons and wyverns are too much, Crowley thought, admiring the shining, subtly shaded scales and wild, glassy, flame-coloured eyes. What's the meaning of this? Bird-watching as basis for the fantastical? There's no shame in tracking the flight of a sparrow, muttered Leonardo. But uh, to a point, yes. Crowley straightened up and passed the next two canvases by. They were birds instead of monsters, elegant, yet ultimately uninteresting in comparison to the final two works. Crowley studied the portrait, which featured a noblewoman seated in front of an open window. The landscape stretching behind and below her was detailed to a fault. Crowley backed up and squinted at the ink on vellum sketch immediately drawn in. Some intricacies paint simply couldn't convey. I suppose it would trouble you to hear I've fallen in love, Crowley sighed. What is this? Who is the operative pronoun? Leonardo said. Lisa Gerardini, till she got married. Crowley could hear him tweaking something with his pliers. Pour us some wine, would you? Crowley nodded and went over to the table against the wall, his eyes leaving the sketch at the very last second. He focused on pouring wine from the cold silver ewer, finding it a delicate translucent yellow in the pair of glass beakers at his disposal. He carried them over to Leonardo, setting one next to him on the worktop, glad to have an open window with full sun exposure at his back. I want the sketch, Crowley said, raising his beaker for a toast. I'll pay your next year's rent. Leonardo set down the pliers without looking up. He took hold of the beaker Crowley had filled for him and dinged it absently against the one in Crowley's grasp. Done, he said. Try these. Crowley set down his wine and put on the glasses, squinting through them, finding not much had changed, except perhaps that they no longer slid down the bridge of his nose when he scrunched it. 
The glasses or the painting? He asked. Thank you. I hadn't realized they were damaged. <laughs> Both, replied Leonardo, grinning, and set aside his own curious work spectacles. You like it? More than I ought, Crowley admitted. The sketch is superior to the painting in every way. I got a bloody smile right in the roughs, he told Crowley, sipping his wine, turning from the sun streaming through the window to regard the works side by side. But it went all over the place when I painted it. Her husband had a few things to say about it when I delivered it, but like I tell him, Signor Del Giocondo, apart from you, who's going to see it? Anyway, explain this helicopter thing again, will you? Last time we met for a bite to eat, it's all you talked about. I haven't forgot. Wait, when you delivered it to him? Asked Crowley, mystified. What's it doing here? I wasn't happy with it either. Leonardo replied. I said I'd see what I could do about this smirk. Crowley wandered back over to his new acquisition, studying it with fond pride. She looks demure here, he said. Hopeful, at peace. I need more of that. He turned to the painting. She's a tease here, however. A tart. You'd have thought that's just the kind of thing Signor would want. Leonardo shrugged, wandering over to refill his beaker. I'm not the one you'd want to ask about what gentlemen want from the ladies, he said, shrugging. My Francesco is travelling. He sends his apologies as he would have liked to have met you. They came along two years after you left. That's the Meltzy boy, Crowley said. He'd be count now. Marrying up is smart, or so I'm told. Marriage, <laughs> Leonardo scoffed. What about that clerk of yours? Oh, wait, bookseller? No. What's wrong with marriage? Asked Crowley evasively. Some people like that sort of thing. Marriage is putting your hand into a bag of snakes in hope of pulling out an eel, Leonardo said. Even if there was something between us, Crowley sighed, a serpent saw he would get. Leonardo took Crowley's beaker and refilled it, shaking his head. You'd prove one of our rare monsters, my boy, he said, handing the vessel back. Your tenacity is lamprey-like at worst. Is that meant to be a compliment? Crowley asked, taking a swallow. They suck blood. What I mean to say is, uh, you'd never be dislodged unless you wished it. Leonardo clarified. I'm the sort you'd want as a sharp-toothed hanger-on, is that so? Crowley ventured. Leonardo shrugged, winking at him, and went to pack up the sketch. I could do far worse. And I could love you, perhaps, Crowley thought. But losing you I couldn't stand. Enough of your doom and gloom, Antonio, said the painter, placing the sketch carefully between the pair of thin, beveled panels. I can still hear your stomach growling a yard off. List to lunch. Yes, that's a fine idea. Crowley said, pensively, watching him wrap the priceless cartoon. Let's. Home. 15th of July, 2015. Unbelievable, Aziraphale murmured, scrolling through his Twitter feed. These photographs! 
You're missing them on telly, Crowley pointed out, shifting where he sat, curled against Aziraphale's side, gesturing at the screen. Up close and personal, look at those peaks. Icy mountains, 11,000 feet high, said Aziraphale in amazement, and then set his phone aside in order to look up. Craterless, frozen plains on Pluto, and canyons on Charon. Wonders upon wonders, my dear. Just think of how far they've come. What else will they find? They didn't even know Pluto existed until 1930, Crowley muttered, waving off the television as BBC's news anchor moved on to another topic. Gross oversight, if you ask me. When we were their age, said Aziraphale, deciding to crash-test his own version of a joke he'd seen in passing. Pluto wasn't a planet. It hadn't yet drifted into the solar system's orbit. When we were the collective average age of humanity, Crowley replied sourly, this planet wasn't even a planet yet. Not funny, Angel. Stand-up comedy isn't your calling either. Aziraphale shifted on the sofa, debating whether to push Crowley away or pull him closer. Who is to say astronomy mightn't have been yours? He suggested. But you chose botany instead. And cookery? Crowley added, his eyes drifting to the wall above the telly. Lest we forget. Aziraphale regarded the da Vinci sketch and then turned his head to look at the modern American abstract monstrosity hanging above their heads. You might even have made a formidable art dealer if your taste hadn't been so dreadfully eclectic. What do you see in that draft? Peace, Crowley said absently. Grace, virtues you couldn't possibly understand. Aziraphale smiled, well past the point of taking offence, tipping Crowley back into his lap. He ran his fingers through Crowley's hair, realising it had grown longer and begun to wave again, peering down into Crowley's wide, unreadable yellow stare. What is it? You must miss him. The knowledge of all things is possible, he used to say, Crowley murmured. The knowledge of all things. We're the closest thing to all-powerful, all-knowing immortals this planet currently has. Well, you and me and those two silly buggers up the road. And we don't even know everything. Meanwhile, humans are photographing uppity asteroids in loving detail. He'd have liked to know, I don't doubt, said Aziraphale. Your old friend... An incalculable loss. Crowley sighed, shrugging, turning his head so that Aziraphale could scratch the base of his scalp. Leonardo had views on everything, from the cosmos to fossils to mechanics to, to anything, Aziraphale. You couldn't possibly imagine. Why you wasted your time on his rival is beyond me. Michelangelo always did have a chip on his shoulder, just couldn't keep up. You might have spared him that nonsense about flying machines, Aziraphale said. Had he lived longer, he'd have gone mad trying to work them out. What was it? A bird passing overhead? 
This writing in such a distinct manner about the kite seems to be my destiny, because in the first recollection of my infancy it seemed to me that, while I was in my cradle, a kite came to me and opened my mouth with its tail. Crowley recited effortlessly. Yes, I read his notebooks. Destiny laughed as she came to my cradle, Aziraphale thought, reminded of a song that Uriel loved and had once played for him. No, this child will be able. I'm sorry for your loss, he offered, disentangling his fingers from Crowley's hair, stroking Crowley's cheek. I never sent my condolences. His passing affected you more than that of many humans we've known. Da Vinci and Escoffier and the whole lot, Crowley murmured. What difference does it make? Our love is what makes the difference, as you're so constantly reminding me, Aziraphale said, brushing his fingertips to Crowley's lips. You'd do well to remember that yourself, dear boy. Crowley smiled faintly. My boy, he used to call me. But never my dear angel, not like you. Didn't I read that he'd once said matrimony was tantamount to reaching into a bag of snakes? Oh, that and loads more, yeah. Told me I reminded him of a lamprey once. Charming. Better a lamprey than an eel, Aziraphale insisted. I'd rather you use your teeth and self-defense. Crowley rubbed his eyes, sat up and turned to look at Aziraphale straight in the eye. Do I, then? Endlessly, Aziraphale told him, returning Crowley's smile. Appropriately, even. And how. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 54.